Tonight on the Goblin's Corner. Let's talk about space, part two. All right. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight? We're doing space part two. Space. The final show. No. No. We've got a part three, so. Space. Part two. <laughs> this is the everything but the aliens episode we're recording tonight. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dive into the thematics of running and hopefully storytelling a space campaign. Yes. But before we get to that, Matt, I believe you have a question, question of the week. Question of the week. Absolutely. What's the question of the week this time? So, if you were to exist in any science fiction world, I'm I'm willing to go with books or movies mm. or cartoons, whatever you want to do. Or game, obviously. Obviously. Where are you living? What you so, doing? So, you mean aside from Star Wars? Because, I mean, that's obviously the first answer. Your go-to answer is going to be, I mean, you realize you're going to have to kill Darth Vader to become Darth Vader, right? <laughs> Depends on when I show up. I might be in the old republic, just swinging a sword. Sure, sure. Just, just, just kick it, or maybe you know, during the time of the Mandalorian, just swinging a sword, laser sword, my friend. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, it's going to be glowing. It's, it's going to be the Jedi pirate episode. Is what it's going to be. Now, if it wasn't Star Wars, then I would probably choose something like. Anything? Probably Ian M. Banks' culture series. I'd I'd be part of the culture because it's post scarcity. You can pretty much do whatever you want, and they just essentially mess around with other civilizations. It sounds great. It's very whimsical. There's this super. You know, all the ships are super intelligent AIs called minds. It's delightful. I would live there. Okay. What about you? Aside now, uh, not Star Wars. Right. Not Star Wars. And not science fantasy. Which is right. theoretically Star Wars. Sure. So that's that's why we're removing Star Wars from this, is mm-hmm. because we're not talking about sci-fantasy, we're Correct. talking about science fiction. Yes. Because you know that immediately removes my actual first answer, which is Spelljammer. Sure, because you want to cast spells in space, I, which I yes. totally agree with you. I would like to do that as well. So, failing that, honestly... Like, I I dig the concept of Star Trek, really. Star Trek would be a nice place to live. Terrible clothing. But aside from that... See, that's, that's where people mess up. It's because they've all got the wrong gig in mind. I'm going to be the Whoopi Goldberg of my starship. You have a huge hat? Sure. But more huge, specifically, had, yes. Oh, you're going to be the bartender. Yes. I was she thinking, chose I to have a huge hat because she with could wear hat? what she wanted. That's true. I was also thinking uh, for a second DS9, i.e. Garrick, our lovable Cardassian spy slash tailor. For some reason, I was thinking clothes. And I was like, now that man's got some fine threads. <laughs> yes. No, no. I was I was thinking bartender, but sure. I'll take some nice clothes. I'll be also. tailor slash spy in on DS9. That'd be kind of cool. It's interesting. It's interesting you chose the second most popular, I would argue. 
and genre. Honestly, not my favorite, but I do like, I like the concept. I like the exploration of it all. I like, I, I can en- enjoy the politics and ostensibly an idyllic civilization in many ways. Yeah. I mean, the best of humanity, the best of other species and so forth. I could see that. It would be also interesting to kind of exist in John Varley's Steel Beach, where you kind of live forever, you're run by Luna, or mm. whatever planet, eventually. There's a lot of different... I, I would even say some of the, what I like to call, like, like the Golden or Silver Age novels, like Isaac Asimov's Foundation, might be interesting to live in. Definitely don't want to live in Dune. No. No, that's a good way to die, get eaten by a sandworm. Yeah, basically nothing by Orson Scott Card. Yeah, I'm I'm good not living there. <laughs> yeah, if you ever read Ender's Game, it's definitely it's it's not nice. Yeah. Um, no Starship Troopers, no Old no. Man's War because everything out in space just wants to kill you. I mean that's semi accurate, but yeah, because it's space, right? I mean, space is actively attempting well, to destroy you. All the aliens want you dead, too. Ah. That was the problem in, gotcha. that, in that series. Okay, yeah, so Star Trek it is. Yep. Plus, let's face it, one of the things I would have to do as a bartender on Star Trek is make up absolutely ludicrous names for my drinks so that when people went back to their replicators, they would have to pronounce them for their replicators. And their replicators would be like, that does not compute. <laughs> have no, rep, just blow up. Yep. They'd, they'd have to replicate a replicator just because it doesn't work anymore. Why don't they replicate things like that? They've got a teleporter. Why do they need a replicator? Someone's going to explain that to me. Will you explain that to me? Do you know the mechanics of teleportation? Write to us. Info at goblinsquarter.com or you can reach me, Eric at goblinsquarter.com or me, Matt at goblinsquarter.com. Uh, and let's get rid of this ridiculousness and let's dive into more ridiculousness. More ridiculousness. Space. Now, we are going to talk about the Maddox of playing in space. And before we get to that, we are not, not going to get into too many rule sets. No. There are a bazillion games. We mentioned that last time. There are way too many differences, such as hard sci-fi, space opera, etc. What we will do is attempt to approach things from thematic standpoints. Correct. And in addition to that, unless you're a scientist, or even if you are sometimes, most people are not going to get or not going to care about the actual science behind the science fiction part of this. So if you get the science wrong, wing it. We want you guys to know that that's one of the reasons why we're going more into thematics and not mechanics, because the, the game systems have that mechanics of how things are played. It's what true. What you guys need is from a storyteller's perspective, how to run this stuff, how to describe stuff, and and maybe even ideas to throw in in running a space campaign. We are also strictly s- trying to stick to space campaigns, not just sci-fi in general, because that can encounter Matrix runs and post-apocalyptic worlds. We're trying to just kind of keep it to space. Right. We only have a limited amount of time in our lives. And this is space. And this is space. Part two. The final frontier. Let's talk about thematics for a second. All right. The first thing you got to do is decide what type of game you're playing. Yep. 
We broke it down into three very loose categories. And there's a couple of minor ones as well, but these are the three loose ones. We've got, first off, your, your hard-boiled science fiction tropes. Sure. Now, this is your tech, your science, and so forth. They tend to be based more on the actual fields, you know, the actual sciences involved today and, and extrapolated upon. Right. And that includes, you know, the equipment, the medicine, you know, it's supposed to be based on actual theory. The Martian, for example, the book, The Martian. Right. Supposedly based off of hard science fiction. And there's a couple other ones as well. So hard science fiction stuff, that's one of the tropes. If you're playing that type of game, you're definitely going to have less of a leeway in terms of Magicking things yeah, away. Yeah, magicking things together. But you can still come up with good sciencey answers to things, even if you're not a scientist. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if the game that you're playing has aliens and stuff like that, you extrapolate extra scientific methodologies from alien technologies. Yeah. No one's going to know any better. It's going to be fine. So these rules will apply to you. Now we also have a different sort of trope, which is called space opera. Right. It doesn't matter how anything works. It just works. We're trying to tell a story here, and the story is what matters. Star Wars is a good example of that, because do you really know how any of that shit works? Metachlorians. I, 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 who cares? I don't care how it works. I want a laser sword. I want Jedi powers. Give them to me now, and, and, and maybe an X-Wing while I'm at it. Right. Or a tie, I'll, I'll settle for a TIE fighter. Okay. So with the tropes for that, you're looking into a lot of big action, large space battles, larger than life technology. And it differs from the hard science in that the hard science is going to be more, honestly, I would say more survival oriented. Oftentimes, yeah. Because it's more like you're dealing real life. Injuries are going to be more real in the games that you're playing. So if you like larger, big action type stuff for space opera, go for that. And there's a lot of different games that do that as well. And I think to some extent, most of the other ones lean. That's the dip that most games will take at some point. Yeah. And, and no game is going to be just one of these. There's usually a mix of some sort of these. And lastly, ish of the three science fantasy. Yep. Magic in the guise of science, psionics, interdimensional travel any macguffin that's used to bypass the normal boring aspects of space travel is a good example of science fantasy let's face it teleportation you can argue that the made up sciences just lean on on space fantasy or science fantasy as much as actual magic and depending upon how advanced the civilization is, it could, it might as well just be wizards in space. Right. With large, glowing laser swords. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to that, we also have two other types that I would say subcategories. Space horror, because that's a very specific genre, space horror. Right. And it could be hard science fiction. It could be space opera. It could be space fantasy, depending upon the game. But basically, the idea behind space horror is everything sucks and you're about to die. Yeah. And that could be location-based. It could be the 
the fact that space is just awful in general. <laughs> yeah, space is out to kill you anyway, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, so, but but that will incorporate some elements of those three criteria. And lastly, space pirates, my space friend. Space pirates. Yeah, which is self-explanatory. Yeah, if you we don't, if, if we have to explain space pirates to you, this may not be the. You're show not for listening you. to our. You've, you've obviously only heard this one episode <laughs> and don't know anything about us. Right. So the type of game that you are starting out to play will vastly steer how you view the following information. Everything here can be taken with a grain of salt based off of the type of game you're playing. Yep. So if you're playing hard science fiction, we start talking about space, size and distance of planets and stuff may be vastly different than if we're doing some kind of space opera, Star Wars style game versus a space horror game. So, again, we're talking very thematics, storytelling aspects right now. Don't get too in the weeds. Just take a breath. You'll be fine. So, that being said, let's talk about the size and distance involved in running a campaign in space. I don't think you can stress the first point enough. It's really, really big. As Douglas Adams said, space is big. Really big. It is the biggest thing that we're aware of. Go look up on YouTube a bunch of uh, this one guy did the solar system. I want to say he did it in Death Valley or someplace in California, uh, I, I which is not in Death Valley, but it they started with a bunch of marbles and they were glowing. Mm. And they started with this, they had the sun, I think, the size of like a beach ball. Right. And when they got out to Pluto, it was like two miles away or something like that. It's stupid far, right. And that's just our solar system. To get to the next solar system, you'd have to hop to the moon in terms of distance. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So interplanetary on the travel. Same scale. Yes, on yeah. that same scale. Interplanetary travel, intersolar travel is stupid, stupid big. And you want to consider that in your game because if you're playing something that's realistic, guess what? You're not going to other planets. Uh, or you might be cryo-frozen. You're definitely not going to other solar systems because a 1,000 or 10,000 years might pass. So you might be interplanetary, but not necessarily intersolar. Right. And most games have some sort of bypass yeah. to this. Otherwise, it would be damn near unplayable. Even The Expanse has that. Yeah. So... We're talking actual versus like relative distance. It's the same as if you're playing a fantasy game and you're doing an ocean voyage. You're not going to map out, okay, you can make 20 knots today. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do encounters every single day. I've played that game before. It's not fun to play. It's great for experience for the players, but it sucks to run it as a DM. I don't, I actually don't mind it, but... A it large, takes forever to get anywhere. Well, for me, a large portion of the encounter table should be there is no encounter. I'll agree with that. And then you can also have like, weather is good, you make better time. Weather is bad, you make slightly worse time. And then actual encounters under those. So what we're trying to say but, is, is the relative time versus the actual time should kind of be based on what kind of story you're trying to run. If you're doing a fast and loose combat style game, 
versus like a intrigue game, you might speed some things up narratively to get to where you're going. You pretty much have to. You really want to start, and this is just storytelling aspect anyway, get to where the action is. There's no point in doing it otherwise. How fantastical also are you going to make your story? And that'll depend some on the game again. Right. Uh, There are things that are good visually, right? Like in your mind's eye or on the screen or whatever that are astoundingly unrealistic. Well, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. First off asteroid belts. Yeah. And so it will go back to star Wars or honestly, most space TV show, every space TV show I've ever seen where they say you're in an asteroid belt and they're just dodging asteroids left and right. That shit doesn't happen unless it's a recent asteroid belt that just broke up. Usually they're hundreds of miles far away at, at the minimum or even 10 miles or even a mile fly ship through a mile, you know, through a mile. Right. They don't get the distance involved in stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we better carefully dodge this 400 foot long ship between this three mile crevasse. (laughs) And, and the thing that, and the things that they do kind of don't talk about are things that you would really want to know about. Now, here's a good, Example, relative velocity. You never see, except in some of the horror movies, or even like, uh, what is it? What's the one that had, was it Sandra Bullock in it? Oh, Gravity? Yeah, in Gravity, uh, where something hit right the actual space station they were on. Okay, yeah, that's a collision. Right. You never hear anything about velocity in most of the, everything docks perfectly. Oh, sure. You know, they just automatically slow down, even though they're going thousands of miles an hour. So, so how, how realistic are you really wanting to make this thing? I would say, unless you're doing a horror game, maybe don't make it as realistic. Go ahead and use some of these tropes, like the asteroid field, to spice things up if you're doing some kind of space combat. And honestly, some of the games call for this stuff anyway. Yeah, and don't, don't do, like, literally six to 12 hours just to dock the ship. Yeah, Nobody that, is going to be no, amused. No one's going to play that game. Use distance, and this is a great storytelling aspect, use distance to convey awe and the immensity of space itself. Because if you gloss over distance for the humdrum portion of the game and only force the point when it is narratively important, then when you take the time to do it, it actually has an impact. But if you talk about immense distances every single time you're talking about anything, then your players aren't going to care. And yeah, you just, you lose all the impact for it. Yeah. It's, it's a narrative tool, but you do. And I would almost, almost say like visual aids and stuff would also be good. Like show some kind of sense of scale so that people know what's going on because we don't get how big stuff is in space relative to us but it's definitely something that you want to convey as a storyteller. So here's a couple of ways you can do that. Distance equals time. That's the first way. We kind of briefly went over that already. So that could be a challenge, uh, not just in getting someplace, but this is something that unless you've got faster than light communication, talking to people. Yeah. How do you talk to people? Yeah. 
It might take 30 minutes to reach somebody, six hours, or days. And it takes, just as a concept, it takes eight minutes for light from the sun to reach here? Mm-hmm. So, if you're making a telephone call, if you will, and it's traveling at the speed of light, but you're making it across galactic distances, you will die of old age before someone picks up the phone. And you're gonna be on, you're gonna be waiting on AOL dial-up for a long time. <laughs> Additionally, you can use travel time to your benefit. Uh, a good example of that is using it for downtime. Yeah, maybe you're making, maybe your characters are building something. Maybe they need to heal up. So you can narratively, maybe they just got out out of battle, and you're going to say, okay, there's another four days until you get to the state, the space station. All right. In that time, you may not have encounters. You may not have something going on. It may just be allowing the characters to recoup, met up, build something. Yeah, man. Do I got to put together my custom ammo. Sure. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that happens to be. My irradiated bullets. Yes. And that way you can skip to the good parts of the story, which is the whole point in storytelling. Sure. And again, some of this is game mechanic handled. So if you've got yeah. light speed engines or... All yeah, of the propulsion issues will be handled by the system you're playing, one would hope. And all of them are pretty much fantasy. Yes. Right now, anyway. Yeah. How are you going to handle... Just, ne- necessities. Yeah. Food, water, air, the fact that the toilet might clog up. Like, these things are very important in a campaign. And depending upon how gritty your game happens to be, that could be a horror game in itself. Sure. that's That becomes a survival game. But, you know, when you go to the very top of the level with your Star Treks and what have you, it's just it's all recycled atoms, right? You just you look at the replicator and you're like, hey, make me a steak. And it's like, okay, here's yep. your steak. But when you come down and you get to the example you made earlier, like the Martian, right? Man. That is survivalistic. That yeah. is... Grow some potatoes in your own feces. Yeah. You do what you got to do. It is what it is. And here's something that most people don't think about. If you are on a spaceship for, oh, I don't know, distance from Earth to Mars, six months of travel, how are you going to deal with isolation? What kind of psychological factors will your characters have to consider? And how do you, as a storyteller, convey that? Because that's the important part. It doesn't really matter. It's going to take them six months. You might have to make them roll a sanity check because they got space madness. Yeah. How soon do the delusions set in and the hallucinations? And if you're playing a horror game, oh, man. Immediately. The answer is immediately with a horror game. they They start tripping already. Let's talk a little bit about the environment of space. All right. First off, as we formerly mentioned, space is awful. It is. It is hostile. It is hostile to life. It is out to get you. To human life. Now, depending upon the game you're playing, you might be adapted to life in a vacuum. But most games that you probably would play as a player character, unless you're an android, space is hostile. It's radiation. There's vacuum. It's cold. Can't breathe. There's a lack of pressure. There's not a gas station anywhere around. Can't, can't get a cup of coffee. Can't get a fucking cup of coffee anywhere in this damn solar system except one place. I mean, yeah, I'm mess- not going to make it. How messed up is that? 
So that's something to consider. Everything is antithetical to life, unless you're on a planet that supports your life. And this is important because this is one of your pet peeves, if I recall. All of the planets support life in every single sci-fi trope. You go to another world, it's just like, oh, look, it just happens to be an oxygen environment that supports carbon-based life forms with 1G atmosphere. I, I despise it. It makes me insane. I hate it so much. It makes me so angry. So Why is everything that. bipedal? I hate it. So, okay. Let me ask you something. <laughs> Why is it when they were sitting in the big space slug in Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. they just open the damn door and Han is- On, he's on got an a, asteroid. On an asteroid. Han's got a mask and that's it. This ground feels strange. Yeah, there's a lot of vapor. Where, where the fuck's the vapor coming from? They're on a goddamn asteroid. Now, granted, it's coming from the mouth of the space slug, but okay. But where? But does he generate? Does the space slug generate an atmosphere? Is he that big? That's what I want to know. I need it's to, been bothering me there lately. There are things I need to know. It's been bothering me. I want to know this. Well, you've been watching it a lot lately. It's true. My kids have gotten into Star Wars finally, and I'm I'm so proud. I'm gonna let them watch Star Trek too. You know, you got to teach the controversy. I love, we like both. And then we get into Doctor Who and all that other stuff too. So think about that. Most creatures need food, water, and some kind of breathable atmosphere, period. Yeah. Well, all carbon-based life forms need those things. So let's talk about a couple of the nasties of space travel. Okay. It's cold and vacuous. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big one. You got stars tossing up all kinds of solar flares, mass ejections, radiation. Lightning. Real lightning. Oh, yeah. That's something that you don't uh, hear talked about a whole lot, but like gas giants and stuff, just miles long lightning bolts. Well, Jupiter and Io is a perfect example of that. Jupiter is sending bolts of, a, of basically static electricity gigantic lightning bolts to the planet back and forth. Yeah. Intense magnetic fields are another potential thing that could warp and twist your DNA into all kinds of fun shapes. Yeah. We have all sorts of uh, important sensory input that requires, well, the electrochemical pulses to reach all the parts of our body. Yep. And we're not even talking about stuff like pollutants, toxic smells, I mean, the atmosphere of a planet could be acidic, all kinds of crazy stuff in space. There's nebulas. It, there's every, there's, there's planets made out of still mag, you know, still made out of magma. There's. Yeah. We're not even talking about planets yet too. Okay. Right, we're literally just talking about the space stuff, like chemicals in space. It's horrible stuff. So how do you, as a storyteller, approach that? With, for me. With rarity to purvey exactly how serious the situation you're in is. So Once, give me an example. Okay. If you're flying through a nebula, right, in your fancy spaceship, I'm not going to every time you fly somewhere put you in a giant lightning storm. But occasionally... You might spring a leak. You, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to remind people that of the hostility of the environment, right? Sure. And it can't just be as long as I'm inside my bubble, everything's fine. 
might be sudden decompression forces somebody through a pinhole size <laughs> hole space whore it just <laughs> sucks them out it could be yeah you might hit get hit by intense magnetic radiation and everyone's got radiation poisoning because it got through the shield yeah i mean once again you could fly through that uh that lightning storm between jupiter and io right get zapped by a bolt of lightning now you've got to fix all of this equipment before your life support starts doing things you really don't want it to do. Mm-hmm. Now, a cardinal rule as a storyteller, obviously, is descriptions. Describe what's going on. It doesn't have to be horror. Fear is a great way to do this, but you need to describe what's happening outside. Especially if they start spacewalking and stuff like that. Like oh, that's yeah. yeah, you want to describe not just visually, but the feel of weightlessness, maybe the the heaviness of their spacesuit if they have one, the the vertigo the sense of vertigo. Those those types of things are from a narrative perspective really interesting to kind of build up. Yeah, it the concept that down is literally just the direction your head determines. Right, because is down towards the ship, is down towards the moon that you can see up ahead because it's the largest body that you can currently view. Like that lack of having a determinate a determination direction mm-hmm. would be mind altering for. I honestly, I would say everybody who hasn't experienced. Correct. In terms of environment. Consider the environment to be a challenge or an obstacle, but something that's not necessarily impossible. It's, it's really easy to overblow the vastness of space or the horrors and dangers of space and essentially TPK your party before they even get out someplace. So throw it in as a challenge or an obstacle or even like a puzzle of something they can figure out how to, like how to fix their ship when something gets hit, like what Matt mentioned. But unless you're playing a horror game, it's probably not going to be 100% hitting it all the time. Right. Because it's no fun. (laughs) And we're all here to have fun. Side effects in stories. All of these events should spur some sort of possibly lasting, possibly short-term side effect. We've talked about this for at least the last 30 episodes. Consequence of actions. If you do something, something else occurs. Yeah. And any type of environmental stimuli that affects your characters in their game, if they fix something on the ship, maybe they've used something up. Maybe they limp along, and because of that, another engine blows up. Maybe they've skirted past some kind of giant alien whale, and that whale now wants to feast off of them. Consider the consequence of actions in the story. Or maybe the whale thinks you're cute. You never know. Depends on the shape of your ship. Yeah, it might be humping that ship. Would that make it a humpback whale? Yes, it would. A humpback space whale. Science may compensate as well. And in general, most space games have some kind of science fiction element involved that kind of get over a lot. So Star Trek's a good example. They've got shields. Yeah. There's faster than light travel in a lot of games, which is fine. Most sci-fi stories will use some kind of science fixes the situation. Sure. And so encourage your characters to use their science 
to fix whatever situation it happens to be. Now, again, they may not know any science. Right. But that's where you have skill checks and all that stuff. Encourage them to make up some science-sounding bullshit to fix the situation. Yeah, I need you to sell me. Yeah, it, it's just basic role-playing, though. I don't, I don't want you to say dilithium crystals, right? Unless you're in Star Trek, right? But make it up. Make up some technobabble. Absolutely. sounds good. That's just good role-playing on the character side. And if you're playing a science game like that, and you're the engineer, yeah, you need to like go start watching a bunch of other sci-fi shows. Start making some technobabble up to explain away whatever you're doing. It's just fun to do, too. It's, that's part of the fun of playing these types of games. Use the environment as a puzzle that science and the player's ingenuity can figure out. Yeah, I mean, space is literally nothing but problems that presents methodologies for solutions. Space is a challenge. We've got a couple other things to talk about with regarding space part two, but we'll be back after these messages. This episode is sponsored by... We're going to give it another go. It's a bit, a bit more, of a bit more zing. Oh, a bit of zing. A bit zing. of zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello. 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 With a, hello. No, no, no. Hello. No, hello. No, wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Ready? Wait till I, Hello with a billowing hilltop. Hello. Hello. Oh, dear. <laughs> wait till you get through the whole thing. No, no, I mean... I, I thought that was the whole thing. The whole thing is hello <laughs> with a billowing hilltop. Okay. That's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That was right. <laughs> Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.belowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. I don't know. And, yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon, is it 5th edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We played Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. What was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we played Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, The Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Quite a bit of this. Um, I'm completely lost. This. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. If there are any topics you would like us to cover, goods or services you would like us to review, or if you would like to sponsor an episode, we would love for you to contact us at info at goblinscorner.com. See you there. And we're back. Welcome back. All right. So we're talking about space and thematics of space. And one of the things we mentioned briefly was what kind of planet happens to be floating around in the vast blackness of space. Yes. Now we're getting to the fun part. Yeah. Let's talk about planets, some moons, and even star systems in general. What what do we need to know about that? So first thing you need to know is you should design whatever the reason for your party being there is. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know what they're doing there, then you just throw together random solar system 
and what they're going to decide based off of what they find. Hmm. Why did they get there in the first place? So we talk an exploration, military type adventure, running from something. Why are they in this area? Whether why are they on this planet? Why are they in this solar system? Why are they floating around this asteroid? But whatever that happens to be, right? So if they're if they're exploring, you can absolutely roll up a random system, and what they found is what they found because they're exploring. Yep. But if they're traveling for military, if they're traveling for mercantilism, right, then they came here for a reason. That reason should exist. And your description is going to change accordingly. Right. And again, just like we talked about, uh, by the way, a lot of these things you recognize from our city building episode, our NPC building episode, and various other episodes in terms of storytelling, give them what they need to know. You don't need to give them a goddamn book on the system for every system. Let them know what's happening. So first off, how did the system or planet or moon form? And what we mean by that is, is what's going on with the planetary system? You don't need to tell them, well, it was formed from the accretion disk of, of these two gas giants that happened to form a giant red star. Now, we don't care about that, right? When they approach the system, what are they looking at? One of the things you're going to be thinking about is you've got a star, right? Maybe. Uh, could be. Sorry. So what's at the center of the gravity well? Okay. There we How go. about that? Because... It could be a star. Most of the time, it probably is a star. Right. But it also could be something, and here's some examples, uh, a proto-sun, like a big, massive gas giant that's about to turn into a sun. Black hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, black hole. Some kind of alien superstructure. Sure. Could even be even more exotic, like a neutron star or a pulsar or something of that nature. Or... It could be a multiple sun system. So binary star systems are very common in our galaxy. Could you have a solar, or I guess it wouldn't be a solar system then. Could you have a planetoid system based around the gravity of one giant planet? Yes. That, okay. Yeah, Jupiter. Some of uh, the moons are almost- planet-sized, yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. look at Titan. Huh? okay. So, yeah. The Titan's flying around Saturn, but still- the, yeah, you, so you could totally have, you could actually base a game off of just the moons flying around a gas giant. Sure. So something to think about. Yep. How are the planets moving about? Now, that doesn't mean like, oh, well, they're obviously orbiting something. When- you would think you could have a rogue planet flying through. True. On some kind of just strange orbit. They might all go in the same direction. You might have some going retrograde yeah you might have some going just completely like strange elongated orbits which could be captured planets or captured asteroids or what have you how are how are these things moving about because that will determine just some unique information to toss at your characters they might think it's odd they might want to explore it and again the more you describe these things the more it will pique your character's interests and you can also have two bodies on the same orbit opposite each other Mm mm-hmm which for a long, you know, there were there were some arguments about whether or not that was a possibility in our solar system. Yes. I would also throw words like Lagrange points in just for fun. Because there could be stuff in specific Lagrange points of various moons, planets, or star systems. Okay. Or stars. Right. 
So let's start off. You got possibly a star, possibly not. If you do have a star, what color is it? Yeah. That matters because that's going to literally, that's going to visually shade everything. It goes from red to white, blue giants, purple horseshoes, whatever it happens to be. Black holes. Brown, yellow. The whole rainbow of fruit flavors to deal with in terms of star. And Can not you just, have a green star? I mean, yeah, I know it's theoretically possible, but have we found one? I believe that we have. I, I can't say for certain, but hmm. I would assume that it would exist. I think it's mostly blue, white, red, yeah. yellow, stuff like that. And something I didn't mention in here, but I think I should mention, how big is that sun or celestial body? It could be, oh, yeah. is it a big ass black hole? Is it a, you know, a tiny neutron star? That'll determine what's the gravity pull of that object. How massive is it? Right. So how many planets are there? Sure. One, 10, none. A hundred. Well, you could have a proto sun with just a bunch of nebula gas floating through. Yeah. Or you could have a recently formed star with still nothing in orbit yet. Nothing in orbit yet, but maybe some rotating hot balls of gas. Or you could have an ancient star system and it's a red, a red uh, giant, and half of the stars have already been vaporized, and you just got nothing but asteroid fields that just smashed everything up. Yep, there's a lot of options now. Yeah. From a storyteller aspect, give them a number. That's really all they're looking yeah. for. And they just want to know. The details will be focused on by your players. Their characters will then focus on those details and do something with it. So you don't have to, again, don't write a book. Right. Same thing with moons, right? Yeah. How many moons are there? Enough to keep it interesting, few enough for you to keep track. Bingo. You could even say, we, you, you know, it depends on the game, but let's say the system mapped out these 12 planets and seven of them have moons. You could just say that. And as you get closer to the system, you'll notice it's a gas giant. It's got 15 moons. Okay, cool. Some of these are ice moons. This one happens to have an atmosphere that is breathable. Cool. You could leave it at that. You want to get more in depth? It really depends on what you're trying to convey to your characters. Remember, get the information, get out. Let them get to the action and doing. Right. So what are what are the random astronomical What's the weird shit, right? What do you like, got? Like what? Comets. You have asteroid belts. Oh, yeah, like nebulas. Draw on your sci-fi knowledge. And obviously, we're talking mostly just basic stuff. Now, I mean, asteroids and comets and stuff, that exists in real life. You can get way more exotic. Massive planetary diamond crystals. You could have some kind of proto-matter that ex- what is it the was it red matter in star trek yeah imagine like a a moon based of red matter or Ooh. antimatter and an- antimatter theoretically exists doesn't theoretically antimatter exists in the universe could be something like that you could have some kind of crazy negatively charged ionosphere all sorts of weird types of sci-fi tropes a living planet yeah I mean, you could have a big bat with a hat. Who knows? Well, you've got objects that came into the solar system at speed, were trapped, and developed an orbit, right? Mm -hmm. But if you had an object that was traveling directly towards the sun, 
even at a very slow pace, then all of a sudden you've got, and for all intents and purposes, a stationary planet that is very slowly moving just into the gravity well. Okay. So that's weird in that it may not have a rotation, right? You've got a light side, dark side planet with no rotation and with relatively no seasons because it's not orbiting. It's just slowly getting closer and closer. Oh, you to mean the- a, uh, just a fixed planet? Yes. But random things like that. They're explanations for most of the weird shit you can come up with. Yeah, you can get very technical with this stuff, or you can just be as loose in your interpretation as you like. Right. Speaking of planets, is there any life on that planet? That's this. This is where. Well, we're not getting too far into aliens, but but from a space perspective, right? You might want to know: Is this planet capable of supporting life? Is there existing life on it? Right. How intelligent it might be. Right. And this this is something that you that you need to think about on the outside of aliens, right? Because does it have plants? Does it have uh germs or anything like that? It doesn't contamination necess- risk, yeah. yeah. It could be anything. Is it is it uh antichiral? So if you eat the fruit that looks just like an apple, it might poison you, for example. Sure. You need to think of the possibility of life outside of just Klingons and whatnot, right? Like plant life, fungal life, all of that sort of thing. Silicoid-based life forms, life forms based off of different chemistries and biologies, which we'll, of course, talk about next episode. Yes. But what you need to know for this episode in terms of planets that support life is, is it friendly or is it hostile? Yep. That's about it. And and how intelligent it is. Is it significantly advanced beyond mortal comprehension or is it you know, throwing rocks and sticks. Right. Or bacteria, as you mentioned, or Zerg. And you also made a note about what you might find in a solar system. And that is, are there any superstructures? Yeah, you got a Dyson Sphere, you got a Borg Cube, Ring World, restaurant at the end of the universe. Sure. I mean, it could be anything. And and it should be anything. Those, and it may not be currently existing artifacts it could be something that was maybe left over from a precursor civilization it could be something that any the the current aliens in this solar system have but maybe have forgotten how to use yeah like what if it's the restaurant at the end of the universe the universe ends it's reborn but the restaurant survived the big bang so now it's just an empty restaurant that's been there for Millions of years. Chilling. Yeah. I mean, it's out in space. It's not degrading significantly. Gigantic mega maid just floating around. It could be anything. Look, the point is, is think about some superstructures that might exist. Speaking of superstructures. Space stations. Yeah. The, the original, the OG of superstructures. Right. Obviously, how big is your space station would be the first thing I would ask. And where is it located? Why is it located there? Now, you may note, if you have listened to our city building episode, space stations are basically cities in space. Absolutely. Depending upon how big it is. I mean, if it's, you know, something like car sized, it's floating around orbiting a planet, then it's, 
it, it might as well not be a city at that point. But when we're thinking sci-fi space games, we're thinking, you know, bigger orbital systems like, you know, like DS9 and stuff like that. Right. We're, we're Realistically, we're talking about major metropoli. Right. So go back, listen to our city building episode, figure some of that stuff out. And a couple of things we can go ahead and say right off the bat. First off, what's the purpose behind the space station? Is it a mining station? Science station? It is it a mercantile station? Yeah. Is it, is there refugees on it or is it kind of like a melting pot? Is it one specific group of individuals? Literally any purpose you can think of for a space station would be reason to have one there. Mm -hmm. Military is another good example of that as well. So think of who is ruling or who is in charge of the space station Sure. It, what are some other? It's going to have a government. It's going to have a government. It's going to have law. It's yeah. I mean, it's going to have goods and services. It's going to have pos- probably taxes and tariff. Like you're going to want to know some basics for what they're arriving at. So all the stuff in terms of making a good city can be handled with a space station as well. Sure. It's, same same stuff. Just in space. And and with a six-hour docking. Yeah, and we're not gonna we're not gonna reiterate a lot of that stuff because it's the same thing. It really is. Now, what can you use these space stations for? This should be noted. Uh, absolutely. So you've got downtime. First off, that's the best way to use a space station is downtime. Going from one place to the other. Maybe you stop, gas up, move on to the next place. Yeah. So this is maybe just downtime. This can also be a good place like a safe zone. So maybe you've just gotten out of some crazy combat in space. You're playing Elite Dangerous. <laughs> you've jacked your ship up. You need some repairs. You're going to get a cold brew and wait. You got, you're got safe from the normal hazards of space, perhaps. Uh, well, you've got your, you know, you fly up to something that is just ringed with gun turrets and, and laser cannons and all of that stuff. And whoever was following you ceases to follow you. Yeah, you were... You were running from some space pirates that you happened to piss off, and you finally made it to the base, and they're just kind of circling around the base, waiting for you to leave. You can start and end storylines with a space station. It's a great place. It's just like going to a city. You start and end storylines a lot of times at a city. That's true. and It's a great place, depending on the type of game you're playing, right? It's a great place to pick up your rewards. Sell your loot. Sell your loot. Get your upgrades for your ship. Oh, yeah. You got to upgrade your suit. You got to upgrade your blaster, all that stuff. Get your a new light. Got to get another lightsaber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep I know. beating the Star Wars into the <laughs> ground. You know me. And, and not only that, with, with a space station, you could have an entire game just on the space station and explore it. Sure. Maybe it's infested with tribbles. It could be. It could, Solve that with a lightsaber, my friend. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> you could do an entire dungeon crawl in a space station. That's a great horror game, by the way. Yeah. It's an abandoned space station. That was Doom. Yeah. The whole game Doom was based off of that. And a bunch of other ones, too. Aliens. Yeah, aliens. Explore some nasty-ass space station. Get a xenomorph in your chest. Not me, sir. Not me. Finally, we come to something that should also be mentioned regarding thematics. 
And this is something I would say is very important, the combat in space. Yes. Now, three-dimensional combat in a space suit, use your imagination with that. What we're more interested in, in terms of what we've played, is ship combat. Because ship combat can either be incredibly interesting or incredibly, incredibly boring if you play it wrong. Yes. And so I would say... As a storyteller, as a DM, as a GM, whatever you happen to want to call yourself, Marshall, if you're playing Deadlands, who knows? You might get in space as Deadlands. That'd be awesome. Cowboys versus Aliens. Absolutely. Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Cowboys versus Aliens Deadlands campaign. Somebody write that up. I want to play that right now. I want to be a huckster in space fighting aliens. Anyhow, spaceship combat tends to be long and involved. Yes. Or way too simple. Yes. And there's very few games that I have played, I could be wrong, that have a good balance between the action and the mechanics. And this is where a good storyteller comes into play. 100%. Yes. You tweak the mechanics as necessary for the group and the story. And what are we going for? Straight up, what are we going for? Well, we're going for the story, the drama of it. Yeah, we don't care about the numbers. And in fact, we're not going to even get into number crunching because the system will do the number crunching. Learn the system, learn how to tweak it, as Matt mentioned. Go for the drama. Absolutely. You, You want those bright red lasers to come screaming across the screen. You want... You know, I mean, the lasers hit the ship, a flash of ozone from fried circuits fills your nostrils. Your party members all in red shirts fall to the ground dead. You from stand, no apparent injury. No apparent injury. You stand up from your captain's chair and find body hugging floor. <laughs> Kip, make that make that ship go away. Kip, open a com. Like you want that you want that melodrama or that drama or that horror. You want to describe that combat, man, because that'll get your players into it. I how are you gonna handle that? You gotta sell it. Yeah. And that's the thing, is don't let the mechanics eat the story. No. And there's a lot of mechanics that can be involved. 3D is is definitely one of those mechanics that you can Definitely get lost in the weeds on. I would recommend some visual aids. Yep. You got anything with stands, right? You can, things that you use to raise and lower minis, you can use to raise and lower ship minis. That's If you're a good enough artist, you could even get a whiteboard and draw some relative 3D stuff. Yeah. You could do that. Or I'm, you can. I am not a good. Or you artist. could, yeah. I mean, or you could throw it up on a TV or something like that. There's, there's a lot of ways you can handle 3D combat, but definitely some kind of visual aid is necessary, especially if you want, if you're getting into the drama of that stuff. You don't have to have it, but these are just things that help some. Showing some artwork from some kind of computer model, even or hell, just screenshots from the game itself, if if they if you have the PDF or something, would help with this combat. You also, the sounds and the, like, individual sounds, the pew, pew, the explosions, the all, you know, we all know what science fiction sounds like. 
Yeah, when you hear that siren from Star Trek, man, you know, it's like, red alert, it's time to go. Yep. And I think that I was discussing on Twitter the other day, having a soundboard with combat effects could be a lot of fun for a fantasy game. For a sci-fi game... I would say it's necessary. It is so, so nice. The sound of the engines humming along. Yeah. Dilithium crystals just pushing it. The sound of the... Yeah. You know where I'm going with this, man. I know. Yeah, all of that. Well, no, I was, I was, I was still in the Star Trek verse. Uh, okay. But, but now that you've mentioned it, yeah, where the lightsaber just kind of pops out. Yeah, you got to have that, my friend. The the Tie Fighter sounds, the sound of body just getting cut into two pieces as the lightsaber just goes right through them. Just that plasma just eats through the flesh. The the tone you took for just a second, <laughs> I swear I thought you were gonna go to Zap Brannigan again. The sound of body and. Sound, <laughs> the sound of my skin as it presses against the fine, non-static electricity body-hugging velour. <laughs> All right, we, so, you know moving what? right along. I, I guarantee there's a Futurama RPG, and I, I'm going to play that shit. <laughs> I want to I find that. All right, so sound is very important. Get a mood music board, go to town. Make sure everyone gets a part in your combat, even, and this is important, even if the rules don't allow it. Yeah. I'm, because sitting there hoping that your pilot makes some rolls while they have a 30-minute ship versus ship combat. That's boring as hell. It goes back to Shadowrun and... Matrix runs? Matrix runs. Yeah, Matrix runs are dumb. Like I, uh, One of the things the newer version has is they incorporate real-time Matrix, Matrix runs with... Yep real-time combat which is great and guess what your starship combat should you should be doing something all of your characters should be doing something if they're not doing something as a storyteller it is up to you to get them in on the action because otherwise they're all going outside to take a smoke break sure and and that sucks because then it's just you and the pilot chatting right and and it should be an engaging experience to be fun for everyone they're riding on a damn starship while it's dipping and weaving and moving around. It's activating its thrusters or whatever the hell is, is going on with it. So let's talk about some options that can get people involved. And these are things that you can do if it's ship versus ship combat and your game has mechanics just for that. Okay, hit me. What, what are we looking at? So if you're playing the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh the torpedo hits the ship. Blows something up. Someone gets hurt. Someone gets hurt. Now, if you wait until the end of this combat, that person might have already bled out and be dead. So you could be patching somebody up while the ship's bucking and weaving. Exactly. You got your freaking mechanic trying to make sure the ship doesn't fall apart. So he's you've got R2-D2 trying to fix <laughs> something while... Yeah, well, while smoke's blaring around, they had a lot of steam in Star Wars. You ever notice that? Where if something gets hit, there's some kind of steam panel that just bursts open. I think that all the ships are steam-powered. Maybe Star Maybe Star Wars is actually steampunk. Steampunk in the future? Yeah. Well, no, it was a no, long, was a long time, time ago. ago. long time yeah. ago. Far, far away. We'll, we'll think about that. So repairing a ship is definitely something that would be worth exploring while the combat is going, even if, again, the rules don't allow for it. What else could be happening? Well, you got, let's see, your security person, right? Maybe maybe you're being boarded. 
Oh yeah, or maybe there's a criminal that's escaped because of damage for the ship. Sure. So he's got a got a bust gotta, some faces. Got to deal with that before yeah. that criminal does some criminal shit. Got to take care of some business, man. They might blow the ship up. Could happen. Or even just the dramatic storytelling aspect of you are riding in this chunk of steel that's flying through space at ungodly speeds. What is your character experiencing what, while that's going on? If there's not anti-gravity, you're experiencing, obviously, the G-forces. If there is anti-gravity, you might be experiencing the tension or whatever. As a storyteller, you need to convey that. And you can ask them, how do you feel while this is going on? That's a great thing to do is just ask questions. What does your character think of while the pilot is flying the ship? Get them invested into the story. Right. Get their head in it, right? I mean, your character is not going to, in the middle of a dogfight, even if they don't have an active role to play, they're not going to be sitting there like, man, I think I'll go have some hot tea. <laughs> That's just not it. that. My, my character's going to sleep while all this is going on. Now, he might be a badass and takes a nap in a dogfight, but most people, no. Probably not. Probably not. And finally, how is the combat resolved? Like, what happens after the combat? What needs immediate attention? Well, once again, your medic, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they were patching people up during the dogfight, those people probably didn't suddenly get better. Yep. Could be your ship got damaged. Somebody's got to fix it. Somebody's got to fix it. This can turn into a side quest easily because you may have to land or go to a near, the, go to the nearest spaceport. Yeah, because depending on how damaged it is, do you even have the necessary stuff to fix it? Absolutely. Like, are you running on half an engine? And it, Yeah, if you're limping along, you might have to go find some kind of shady... Oh, yeah. Some kind of shady space station. You, you uh, latch up to that, and next thing you know, you got shenanigans going on because they stole your ship. Or you're in jail. Or there's aliens bursting through your chest. Or... There's a Sith Lord with this lightsaber and he's, he's just cutting right through your skull. Or you, you get all your replacement parts, but you're pretty sure you recognize some of the designations from some ships from elsewhere. Yeah. Because they've been stolen. Oh, man. And they left them on bricks. And you, yeah. They, got all, they took all the wheels off. There's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what are some things in addition to running a space campaign, what are some things that you can do? Let's say you have an open sandbox game. What do you, what can your characters do? And as a storyteller, what can you maybe push them in the right direction towards, Matt? Well, I mean, so you've got a crew of people on a ship. Mm -hmm. it's, you run the ship. So which, we, which we like to call, are you a pirate or not a pirate? Right. Because that's the only two options I see. Yes. A sure Jedi. Pirate, not a pirate. Yes. You and can Jedi. totally be a Jedi pirate. You can pirate. still be a Jedi pirate. That's true. And if you're a Jedi, you're not a pirate. Swing Unless the, you're a Jedi pirate. Swinging the Jolly Roger and a sword, laser sword in the other hand. Such a wonderful mental image. What else can we do? You can explore. Explore space, explore planets, explore galaxies. You're just, you're just an explorer. Yeah, you can fly around and find things. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a professional looker. I look at things. Well. Look, loot. Yes. You can solve mysteries. Sure. This is something that's not 
tossed in too much that I've played. And I, well, granted, we haven't played a lot of mystery campaigns even in the fantasy world either, which is a shame because there's a lot of really good mystery games out there. And this is something that I would be interested in playing from a space per- perspective because how do you solve a crime in space? How cool would that be? Or not even just a crime, maybe solving the mystery of some kind of alien artifact or world or even the formation of something like, how is there a, I don't know, a, 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 a multiple ring system or this weird alien gate or something like that or some kind of celestial phenomena? About the only mystery you generally see in sci-fi is, so what did happen to this outpost? Mm-hmm. Right? This outpost, this space station, this insert currently abandoned for no apparent reason thing now. Yeah. So what we're saying is, is reach out a little bit, get outside the box, find some of those type of mysteries that you can solve. Those are fun things to role play out too. Yeah. Even if you're not, if you're not combat heavy in your campaign, this is perfect to dive into because figuring mysteries out, you can throw in puzzles, you can throw in all kinds of interesting tidbits. You could even throw in some cryptography if you know some, or there's websites you can. And if your friends are into that thing. Yeah, man, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Find some kind of crazy alien artifact. They got to decipher it. This is one of those things too, where you could play in person and then maybe try to solve stuff during downtime between games. The, the next one actually pairs fa- fairly well with mysteries. Diplomacy. Diplomacy. And this is something I've actually done. In fact, uh, in high school, back in the day, we played a war game where we would, when we were in school, we would do this at like lunchtime. We would play the game by turns. And then when we were at home, we would basically say, okay, for the day, for the next week or something like that, we would do all of these things things for our cities right and so as a as a space game this is totally doable right you might own a colony or you might own an entire star system or whatever depending upon the game you're playing you could do all the diplomatic actions in downtime or even in time if you wanted and then maybe get to the fights or get to the interesting things and basically as the storyteller it would be your job to build up to something for the next game session where everybody's together sure That'd, yeah. be, that'd be a fun game to play. The other side of that is you can actually be a fully a full diplomatic envoy, right? You've got your your person who's the actual diplomat. Mm-hmm. You've got your bodyguard or bodyguards, right? You've got your fixer who is the person who goes behind and makes sure everything runs flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And so that could be an entire group based off of you are the diplomatic mission from this space station, from this planet, from this. You are the away team. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, it's an away team. Yeah. And, and that would be a fun, and you could have that as an episodic game. Sure. That would be, to, this week you're going here. You're going to find this alien race. You might kill them or fuck them. Who knows? It's going to happen. <laughs> Something's going to happen, though. Trade with them. Steal you their might, technology. You might, you might trade with them. Buy something, get some kind of crazy disease. Who knows? You can fight in a war as well. And that's something else you could do in a game. There's nothing wrong with just rolling up a combat story. Yeah. Just two alien races at war, just smashing into each other with ships and guns. Robotech, man. Yeah. Robotech's a great example of that. 
Yeah, that's another good game we need. And to that's play. a game we didn't mention. Wow. Well, that's yeah, and that's something we wanted to. We both want to play too. So fighting in a war could be strategic, could be one-on-one combat, could be ships, you name it. You can mine. You can mine. You could do resource gathering, right? Yeah. And this is this could be standard dungeon crawl type stuff, or it could be exploration plus looting. Yeah. Could be piracy. It could always be piracy. I mean, that's the easiest way to gather resources. Yeah. Is you wait for somebody else to mine it and you take it from them. And and finally, we could say this is more of like a fantasy style sci-fi fantasy. You could get into some crazy artifacts or pseudoscience magic or psionics or something like that. You could explore the weird aspects of the science fiction space universe. Sure. The monolith is the perfect example of that. You might find a damn monolith and all of a sudden you're the star child. Absolutely. Or turn you into star man and you're David Bowie all of a sudden. Just floating in space. Earth below you? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Drifting, falling. All right, Major Tom. (laughs) So we have given you again part two of All About Space. This is once again just a dip into the multitudes of things you can get into and have fun. And again, if you have something that you want to know specific about, write to us, info at goblinscorner.com, or you can reach me, eric at goblinscorner.com. Or me, matt at goblinscorner.com. And of course, we also have all the things, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram. We've got a website, goblinscorner.com. You notice the goblinscorner.com, .com, 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 and so forth and so on. There's a theme. Yeah, there's a theme behind all of this. And next episode, we'll be discussing... Just Aliens and Planets. Yes. That's going to be a doozy as well. So grab a notebook. Again, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. The Goblin's Corner is written and produced by Eric Holden. And Matt Staples. Show song by the mighty D20. This is a subterranean production. Basie.